Yes. If we don't get what we want, one way or the other, I will shut down the government. Okay, absolutely. And I am proud, and I'll tell you what. Of course, not enough chaos. We need more. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, in Round Mountain on KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO, and in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates across this still-existing planet of ours. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, blanketing planet Earth. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, as we as we begin to get an idea of just what divided government may soon look like, really already does look like, um, but especially after the Democrats take control of the U.S. House in January, Got a good picture of that today, and I'm afraid it ain't going to be pretty. At least if the show that Donald Trump decided to put on on Tuesday in the Oval Office is any indication. With uh, House Minority Leader likely soon to become House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer will share some clips from that bizarre public meeting confrontation public uh, display d- public of, dis- of idiocy i guess go. from trump we'll share some of that in a minute that voice you hear is of course desi doyan hello desiree hello you will be back with a green news report a little bit later in the show yep regarding the i love this axis of oil <laughs> did you did you come up with that Who i came did up with not that? uh it's been like floating around since the mid 2000s right? yes all right well we will have uh, stories on how the axis of oil has undermined the climate conference in uh, poland that has been taking place the u.n climate conference that has been taking place this week and how young protesters really all over the globe are standing up and demanding action. And boy, I hope they save us. That's all I can say. (laughs) I agree. First, some quick news headlines here. Time Magazine's 2018 Person of the Year are the Guardians and the War on Truth. 
Well, that's got to make Donald Trump. Uh, he's mad already, uh, I suspect, since I know he thinks he deserves to be Time Magazine's Person of the Year. And frankly, every year. Yeah. Well, you know what? No matter how abhorrent he is, I think he actually does deserve to be Person of the Year. Remember, it's not necessarily an accolade to be the Person of the Year. Hitler was the Person of the Year back in 1938. Joseph Stalin was the person of the year twice, called it man of the year back then. So in two different years. So, yeah, it's not necessarily a good thing to be person of the year. Not that Donald Trump understands that. But the group named person of the year this year is a group made up of uh, four journalists and a newspaper that uh, Time magazine says are representative of a broader fight by countless others around the around the world. The magazine recognizes the person or group of people who most influenced the news and the world, quote, for better or for worse during the past year. The Guardians, in this case, are slain Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi of The Washington Post. The Capitol Gazette in Annapolis, Maryland, where five people were shot and killed at the newspaper's offices in June. Boy, that seems forever ago. That amid Trump declaring the media to be the enemy of the people. Philippine journalist Maria Ressa, who has uh, been arrested and indicted for her critical coverage of the Philippines president, Rodrigo Duterte, and his violent policies and extrajudicial murders, which Trump, by the way, has lauded. And uh, two Reuters journalists who were detained in who are detained still in Myanmar uh, for nearly a year, Wa Lone and Kya So U. So if it brings attention to their plight and frankly, the plight of journalists covering dangerous beats around the world, and standing up to bad guys anywhere and everywhere, I'm in favor of it. Speaking of bad guys, or um, if you prefer Donald Trump's uh, description of them as some very fine people, a jury on Tuesday recommended life in prison plus 419 years for James Alex Fields Jr., who was convicted of killing then 32-year-old activist Heather Heyer when he plowed his car into a group of counter-protesters last year at a so-called Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, after which Trump described the neo-Nazi protesters there as some very fine people. After deliberating over two days, the jury today reached a sentencing recommendation of life in prison for Fields, 70 years apiece for five malicious wounding charges, 20 for each of three malicious wounding charges, and nine years on one charge of leaving the scene of an accident. They also recommended $480,000 in fines. I guess the jury means business here. The uh, judge accepted their recommendations, uh, but will not formally sentence Fields until March. The jury made their decision after listening to statements from Heyer's mother and multiple people who were injured in this attack, this terrorist attack. The same jury convicted Fields on uh, on Friday and Heyer's death and the injuries to dozens of others with his car. They found that uh, Fields had purposely rammed his Dodge Challenger into the crowd of counter-protesters after the rally in August of 2017. 
The Unite the Right protesters, in theory, were fighting the uh, removal of a Confederate General uh, Robert E. Lee statue there. Prosecutors said Fields was angry over fighting between the two sides, but he had posted images of cars hitting groups of people on Instagram prior to the rally. So it was already a thing for him. Uh, ramming people with cars. It it wasn't the fighting between the two sides that day that sparked his interest in killing people with cars. Fields, who is 21 years old, was also charged with 30 federal hate crimes for which he still um, stands to face trial on those charges. It was President Donald Trump's signature campaign promise, according to Glenn Kessler over The Washington Post. He would build a wall along the nation's southern border and Mexico would pay for it. Remember that uh, because shortly after becoming president, Donald Trump dropped the Mexico part of that promise, turning to Congress for the funds instead. And when that, too, failed, Congress earlier this year appropriated money for border security that could not be spent on an actual wall. But uh, Trump nevertheless declared victory, saying, quote, we've started building our wall. He said that in a speech on March 29, quote, I'm so proud of it. Despite the facts, which have been cited numerous times by fact checkers, Trump repeated that false assertion about an imaginary wall some 86 times in the seven months before the midterm elections, according to a database of false and misleading claims maintained by The Washington Post. His willingness to constantly repeat false claims has posed a unique challenge to fact checkers, Kessler notes. Most politicians quickly drop a for Pinocchio claim. That's the that's the top. At least it had been the top rating for Pinocchios at The Washington Post, the way they uh, their fact checker judges these things. Most politicians quickly drop such claims that are categorized that way, either out of a duty to be accurate or concern that spreading false information could be politically damaging. Not Donald Trump. The uh, president, as the paper notes, keeps going long after the facts are clear in what appears to be a deliberate effort to replace the truth with his own far more favorable version of it. He's not merely making gaffes or misstating things. He is purposely injecting false information into the national conversation. Goebbels would be proud. And that's why I don't normally even cover because he, he, he says these things. He's so wrong so often, but clearly he doesn't care. He says them over and over again on purpose, despite being proven time and again to be lying. So most of the time I don't even bother anymore. I try to ignore him, frankly, as much as I can, as much as I can get away with. But the Washington Post fact checker, they can't ignore it. It's their, it's their job to accurately reflect this phenomenon of Trump repeating these lies that have been shown endlessly to be lies. They have come up with a new distinction above the four Pinocchio rating now. It is called the bottomless Pinocchio it will be awarded to politicians who repeat a false claim so many times that they are, in effect, engaging in campaigns of disinformation, according to the Post. In other words, 
they're spreading the very fake news that Donald Trump pretends is being propagated by legitimate media, but is actually proudly being propagated by, guess who? Donald Trump, repeatedly and endlessly. So here's how they uh, describe the bottomless Pinocchio that they have created really just for Donald Trump, because he's the only one so far that they're able to apply this award to. (laughs) Uh, The claims must have received three or four Pinocchios from the fact checker initially, and they must have been repeated at least 20 times. They say 20 is sufficient is a sufficiently robust number that there could be no question that the politician is aware that his or her facts are wrong. So they're no longer they can't just be getting it wrong. They have to be purposely lying, knowing that it is wrong. They don't care. They repeat it anyway. And by they, I mean Donald Trump. The uh, Washington Post fact checker has not identified statements from any other current elected official who meets the standard other than Trump. They write, in fact, 14 statements made by the president immediately qualify for the list. Well, I guess the uh, Mexico uh, will pay for the border wall and the entire border wall thing is is uh, immediately on that list. Uh, But some of his other regular deceptions They say start from the beginning of the administration, like his claim that the U.S. has spent seven trillion dollars in the Middle East. He said that 36 times or that the U.S. pays for most of the cost of NATO. He has said that 87 times. Both of those claims are untrue, judged at least to be untrue by The Washington Post. He made those repeatedly while he was campaigning for uh, to become president, and he continues to make them, they note, despite having access to official budget data. He makes claims anyway. Another uh, claim that has carried into his presidency is the assertion that Democrats colluded with Russia during the election. He has said that 48 times which the Post says is obviously false because Democrats were the target of hacking by Russian entities, according to U.S. intelligence agencies. On 30 separate occasions, Trump has also falsely accused special counsel Robert Mueller of having conflicts of interest and the staff being led by the staff led by the longtime Republican of being, quote, angry Democrats. He's repeatedly lied, uh, claiming that uh, Republicans passed, quote, the largest tax cuts, tax tax cuts in history, even larger than that of President Ronald Reagan. That is not true. He kept making the claim apparently 123 times before the midterm elections, and he still says it, quote, we got the biggest tax cuts in history. In fact, back in 1981, Reagan's tax cut amounted to 2.9 percent of the overall U.S. economy. Nothing even under consideration by Donald Trump comes that close. The tax cut that they eventually passed was just under 1 percent of the economy, making it the eighth largest tax cut in the past century. And yet Trump keeps repeating it anyway. Forty times he has asserted that a wall was needed to stem the flow of drugs across the border. But that claim is contradicted by the Drug Enforcement Agency. Yes, Donald Trump's own Drug Enforcement Agency, which says that most illicit drugs come through legal points of entry. 
on and on it goes. All this is giving me a good chance to uh, respond to most of these uh, lies that I don't normally uh, even mention. 37 times he asserted that U.S. Steel has announced it is building new plants. He said that 37 times. In fact, they have announced no plan, no plans to build any new plants. Uh, they merely stated that they were going to restart up two blast furnaces at the company's Granite City Works plant in Illinois. Similarly, Trump has repeated, repeatedly inflated the gains from his 2017 trip to Saudi Arabia, claiming, in fact, upping the amount from $350 billion in deals he claims he made with Saudi Arabia to $450 billion when he came under fire recently for defending the crown prince who is believed to have ordered the assassination of Washington Post contributor Jamal Khashoggi. So one fact after another all meets the uh, new measure of bottomless Pinocchio at the Washington Post. The U.S. has lost billions of dollars in trade deficits, which no economy uh, economist agrees with. Trump has said it some 131 times. Good Lord. So this is the guy... The U.S. has the worst immigration laws in terms of keeping immigrants out. Well, that's also not true. The U.S. has among the world's most restrictive immigration laws. This is the guy that Democrats have to deal with now as they take the majority in uh, in the U.S. House after January. But before we even get there, Donald Trump really, really wants to shut the government down, it seems. Today, in the Oval Office, as a deadline to pass a budget before the end of the year looms, Trump called Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer into the Oval Office to apparently have this debate where he is threatening to shut down the government if they don't give him the money that Mexico was supposed to give to pay for this border wall. And he wanted to have this debate apparently in front of the cameras because I guess it's one that Trump thinks he can win. In short, a, a bipartisan consensus in both chambers of Congress is ready to pass a continuing resolution to keep the government funded, a so-called CR. But Trump says he won't sign it unless it includes billions of dollars for his wall on the southern border. At least that's what he's threatening. Again, the wall on the southern border that he had endlessly promised would be paid for by Mexico, not by U.S. taxpayers. And yet he's holding the government hostage now, the entire country hostage now, if Democrats don't agree to pay for his wall. As Rolling Stone describes today's extraordinary Oval Office pageant, uh, President Trump invited Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and presumptive House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to the Oval Office to talk about the long-promised border wall. It didn't go well. As a wan, mute Mike Pence looked on, they write. <laughs> that is so true. It was like a piece of furniture. Yep. Trump and Schumer and Pelosi argue about everything from the legislative process to whether border wall construction has started or not. In fact, it has not. To the outcome of the midterms, which Trump sees uh, very differently than the rest of the nation. Trump protested, excuse me, did we win the Senate? We won the Senate. 
And Schumer uh, said while the cameras were rolling, when the president brags that he won North Dakota and Indiana, he's in trouble. So here's some of the uh, remarkable back and forth that took place, apparently at Trump's urging. He wanted this when the press was called in uh, for a... um, a spray, as they call it. Usually it's just they come in, take pictures of the leaders as Everybody they're preparing hands. to meet. Yeah. Friendly photos. But Trump decided that he wanted to have this conversation in public with the uh, with the cameras rolling. So here's how uh, here's how some of that went. I think American people recognize that we must keep government open, that a shutdown is not worth anything and that you should not have a Trump shutdown. Uh, you have the, oh, the oh, White what? House, Did the Trump shutdown. Oh. You have the White House. You have the Senate. You have the House of Representatives. You have the votes. You should pass no, it right now. No, we don't have the votes, Nancy, because in the Senate we need 60 votes. No, no, but in the House. And we don't you have could bring it up right now yeah, today. Excuse me. But I can't get it passed in the House if it's not going to pass in the Senate. I don't want to waste time. Well, well the fact is you can get it started that way. The and House we could get passed very easily. Okay, and we do. do. But do the problem is the Senate, because we need 10 Democrats to vote, yeah, and they won't the vote. That's not the point, Mr. President. The point is, is that there are equities to be weighed. And we're here to have a conversation in a Correct. prayerful way, so I don't think we should have a debate in front of the press on this. In a prayerful way. How did that go? <laughs> uh, well, Ms. you Pelosi? know, yeah, but she was, at least you can see that it's mostly Trump arguing with Pelosi, not necessarily Pelosi arguing with Trump. And it's unclear to me, I'll play, we'll play some more of this, but it, it's unclear to me what he was even trying to accomplish. Was he trying to, I mean, he's not going to convince 10 Democrats in uh, in, in the, the Senate, Senate yeah. to, to vote for this. So if he twists enough arms, they're going to go, oh, OK, I'll do it. He's the great deal maker. He's supposed to know how to make deals. He's supposed to be offering them something in return for what it is that he wants. And of course, if he wants uh, $30 billion to fund this border wall, he is never going to get that. Here's more of this uh, bickering as it continued today. At legislating, which is what we do, right. you begin, you make your, your point, you state your case. That's what the House Republicans could do if they had the votes. But there are no votes in the House, a majority of votes, for a wall, no matter that where you exactly start. exactly right. You don't have if to I needed the, the votes for the wall in the House, I would have them in one session well, would be do done. It. Do it. it doesn't help because we need 10 Democrats in no, the Senate. Don't put it on the Senate. Put it of on course. The- Put it on a negotiation. Okay, let me ask you this. Just And we're doing this in a very friendly manner. It doesn't help for me to take a vote in the House where I will win easily with the Republicans. It doesn't help to take that vote because I'm not going to get the vote well, of the Senate. the Senate. I need 10 senators. That's Mr. the problem. President, you have the White House. You have the Senate. I have the you White have House. The, the White House, House is done. And the House would give me the vote if I wanted it. But I can't because well, I can't, need, Nancy, I need 10 votes from Chuck. No, All right, let me President, say something let me, here. Your, let me just say one thing. The fact is, you do not have the votes in the House. Nancy, I do. Nancy, I do. He does. Just simple assertion. Well, and she's uh, threatening. She, you know, she's saying, OK, fine, then pass this bill. He knows if they pass this bill, if he actually does have the votes in the House. I don't know if he does or not. Nancy Pelosi is suggesting he doesn't. He can't even get uh, can't even get it passed. And, and no wonder. I mean, it would, you know, balloon the deficit even farther than Donald Trump has already ballooned the deficit by adding another 30 billion dollars. For a wall that even many Republicans know is complete and utter nonsense. So, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure 
I'm not sure what this is about other than, you know, putting this on display. Maybe they'll, get, you know, get feedback as far as uh, whether this is what the American people want, whether they want the government shut down over Christmas and the New Year's. I mean, it's I guess it's a game of chicken. And you heard Na- uh, Nancy Pelosi call it the Trump shutdown, which that caught his attention. Yeah, it did, didn't it? <laughs> Anyway, they went on to bicker about uh, who won the election after Republicans picked up two House seats. I'm sorry, two Senate seats. Uh, Meanwhile, Democrats had an historic largest ever landslide defeat of Republicans in the U.S. House, where they picked up a net gain of at least 40 seats in the U.S. House. At least. We'll talk about some election matters relating to North Carolina and elsewhere uh, shortly. Here was uh, uh, Chuck Schumer trying to make that point. People are not at the morale. And we've gained in the Senate. Nancy, the we've gained in the Senate. Excuse me, did we win the Senate? We won the Senate. When the president brags that he won North Dakota and Indiana, he's in real trouble. When I, oh, I did. Let me say this. We did win North Dakota and Indiana. <laughs> yes, yes, you did, Mr. President. Uh, ultimately, they got Donald Trump on tape, and I don't know if this is... Uh, you know, I guess it depends if a shutdown really happens and what the costs end up being to the American people. But they got Donald Trump on videotape saying, yeah, I'll I'll take credit for the shutdown. I would be proud to shut down the American government. One thing I think we can agree on is we shouldn't shut down the government over a dispute. And you want to shut it down. I, you no, keep no, talking no, no, about no. it. The last time, Chuck, you shut it down. No, no, no. And then you opened it up times. very quickly. And 20 times. I don't want to do what you did. 20 but, times Chuck. you have called for, I will shut down the government if I don't get my wool. None of us have you said You want to know something? You've said okay, it. Okay, you want to put that you on my... You said it. I'll take it. Okay, okay, good. You know what I'll say? Yes. If we don't get what we want, one way or the other, whether it's through you, through a military, through anything you want to call, I will shut down the government. Okay, absolutely. Fair enough. And we I am disagree. proud, and I'll we tell you disagree. what, I am proud to shut down the government for border security, Chuck, because the people of this country don't want criminals and people that have lots of problems and drugs pouring into our country. So I will take the mantle. I will be the one to shut it down. I'm not going to blame you for it. The last time you shut it down, it didn't work. I will take the mantle Good. of shutting down. And I'm going to shut it down for border security. But we security. believe you shouldn't okay. shut it down. Thank you very much, everybody. <clears throat> now, there was a, a, a section there, I don't think we got it, where he was talking about um, the, uh, the fact that uh, where Nancy Pelosi was trying to say, just continue we, we can sign today a, a, a continuing resolution, a CR, that will keep the government open. You signed it last year. If, if it was fine last year when you had, uh, uh, you know, you were fine to sign it and you thought the security was... Uh, oh, do we have that one? That's, uh, that's clip number two, actually. Go ahead, play that one. I want to say we have a lot of disagreements here. The Washington Post today gave you a whole lot of Pinocchios because they say you yes. constantly misstate how much the wall is built, how much of the wall is built, and how much is there. But that's not the point here. We have a disagreement about the wall, Washington whether Post. it's effective or whatever. Not on border security, but on the wall. We do not want to shut down the government. You have called 20 times to shut down the government. You say, I want to shut down the government. We don't. We want to come to an agreement. If we can't come to an agreement, we have solutions that will pass the House and Senate right now. 
and will not shut down the government, and that's what we're urging you to do. Not threaten to shut down the government, because you, you, let me just finish, because you can't get your way. The last time you shut it down, you Yeah, let me say something, Mr. President. You just say, my way or we'll shut down the government. We have a proposal that Democrats and Republicans will support to do a CR that will not shut down the government. We urge you to take it. And if it's not good border security, I it won't take it. It is very good border security. And if it's security. not good border security, I won't take it. It's what the Because when you look at these numbers, of the effectiveness of our border security. And when you look at the job that we're doing you with our military... You just said it is effective. Can I, be, can I tell you something? Yeah, you just said Without it's effective. Without a wall, these are only areas where you have the walls. We want to do Where this. you have walls, Chuck, it's effective. We, where you don't have walls, it is not effective. So, yeah, yeah he's just making stuff up there oh, uh, he as is. he does. And Pelosi said it to his face. She said, you know, the information that the president has on his little note cards over there is not factual. <laughs> no. Uh, he didn't like that. No, oh no, he didn't like that. He doesn't like being called out. But he was called out uh, by Nancy Pelosi. And by the way, yeah, he signed it last year. The security was good enough to sign it last year before the election. But now, after the election, I guess he he doesn't care what the hell he takes down, including the U.S. economy. Uh, the price of government shutdowns is costly just to the economy. According to S&P Global's economists, a shutdown would trim at least 0.2 percent points or two-tenths of a percentage point or six and a half billion dollars from real GDP growth for every week that a shutdown lasts. The same economic team estimates that the brief shutdown back in 2013, which lasted for a little more than two weeks in uh, early October of 2013, that year, it cost the U.S. economy $24 billion. It shaved off 0.6% off of economic growth in the quarter that it took place. And so apparently uh, Donald Trump is just fine with bringing down the economy. At least that's what he's claiming. That's what he's pretending. When they uh, finished the meeting here after uh, she returned to Capitol Hill, Nancy Pelosi said that for Trump, the wall was like, quote, like a manhood thing for him. Yeah. She compared it to having a tinkle contest with a skunk. And she said it was uh, like a manhood thing for him, quote, as if manhood could ever be associated with him. Oh, meow. She said. Meow, indeed. Uh, Schumer said the bottom line is simple. The president made clear he wants a shutdown. And uh, he repeated that this would be a Trump shutdown. They issued a joint statement saying we gave the president two options that would keep the government open. It's his choice to accept one of those options or shut the government down. Which one do you think Donald Trump will take, Des? That's a good question. He does seem to enjoy being the chaos president. So what's your uh, prediction? My prediction is that he'll fold. You think he'll fold and, and he'll, he'll fold. Uh, let it go? Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I would tell you my predictions, but I don't do predictions. <laughs> so uh, we'll take a quick break and we will come back with uh, more information on the GOP election fraud crisis still unfolding in North Carolina and some information out of Florida, where you may recall they had some very close elections as well. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast, along with the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. My apologies, there will be no more Trump audio played throughout the rest of this Bradcast. (laughs) Thank you. As far as I know. Wait, do we have any in the Green News Report coming up? Uh, No, we do not. We do not. Okay, you're welcome. Uh, The head of North Carolina's state elections board is suggesting more time may be needed to decide whether a new congressional district election is necessary due to the absentee ballot fraud allegations that we've been covering for the last several weeks now. I think we're on number week number three of covering this this scandal. Chairman of the State Board of Elections in North Carolina, Josh Malcolm, wrote to state judges on Monday saying that those subpoenaed in the 9th Congressional District case have said that they need more time to produce additional records. The board already planned an evidentiary hearing on the uh, district race on or before December 21. And now that may have to be pushed back even later than that. Malcolm wrote, it may be that their delays in production will lengthen the time frame initially contemplated by the state board. He was writing to a three-judge panel, which is presiding over litigation, totally separate litigation, challenging the uh, state election board's composition That is unrelated entirely to the ninth district race. The schedule, however, is important because a new session of Congress is set to begin, of course, on January 3. And in this ninth district race, unofficial results show Republican Mark Harris leading the Democrat Dan McCready by 905 votes. But late last month, the board delayed certifying the results because of alleged absentee balloting irregularities, as AP describes them. The board has been investigating activities in Bladen and Robeson counties, which are part of the 9th District. The Democrat McCready withdrew his concession in the race late last week. And the Republican Harris said says now that he will support a new election if if it's proved that fraud changed the outcome, which is not the standard in North Carolina is just the standard that Mark Harris seems to be coming up with. Harris himself has been subpoenaed, at least his campaign has, uh, and its chief political consulting firm. They've been subpoenaed for documents, and uh, apparently they are slow walking uh, presenting those documents, which in fact could slow up this entire thing. So if Harris wants to quickly get to Congress, uh, he could help by speeding up the production of documents, apparently. The state election board uh, is within its legal rights to call a new election or even declare a winner, by the way. They could just say that the Democrat McCready here, who did not hire a former felon with a record of gaming elections with absentee ballots, they could just declare the Democrat the winner if they want. 
or they can call for a new election, including a new primary election where uh, where Harris uh, had unseated the incumbent Robert Pittenger with apparently a similar absentee ballot scheme in the uh, in the primary election. Without resolution soon, the seat is likely to become vacant uh, after the uh, beginning of the year as of January 3. That, I would note, is not fair necessarily to voters of the 9th District, which uh, so far, according to all reports, they did absolutely nothing wrong. This is not voter fraud. The voters didn't misbehave here. This is insider election fraud. In this case, by a GOP contractor who was hired by the Republican who is said to have won the race by 905 uh, ballots. That election fraud, I should note, is what we always are concerned about here. Not so much voter fraud as the Republicans pretend uh, to be concerned about, pretend that they uh, think that Democrats are somehow stealing elections with voter fraud, when really the Republicans are just trying to pass laws that make it harder for Democratic-leaning voters to vote. Uh, in any event, uh, the head of the North Carolina State Election Board uh, sent this letter after one of the judges in this uh, unrelated case requested a summary of what the state board is doing in order to wrap up their work from the November election. Why? Because a majority of the judges on this uh, on this panel had agreed in October that the current nine member elections board was unconstitutional because the process of making appointments prevented Democratic Governor Roy Cooper from controlling an this election board, which is an executive agency. They, the Democrat was prevented from doing that after the Democrat Roy Cooper won his election back in 2016 and the Republican-controlled state legislature passed these bills to take away as much power as they absolutely could from this incoming Democratic governor. And uh, one of the ways was by taking away his power to appoint people to, to the state elections board. And that was found to be unconstitutional. But the judges allowed this board to stay in place until the November election was wrapped up. It was supposed to have been wrapped up a couple of weeks ago when everyone thought they were going to certify all of the uh, all of the U.S. House races and all of the others. They did certify them all, except for in the 9th District because of the fraud allegations that suddenly emerged. So uh, for now, the board appears to be staying in place unless the uh, judges decide something differently. The uh, Josh Malcolm, the head of the uh, board right now, said that they are working as quickly as we can responsibly do. Uh, Malcolm said a complete record would be needed if the board's ninth district decision is reviewed by courts later on down the road or by the U.S. House, which will have the final say in judging who will be seated. We have uh, uh, a little bit more information coming out now about the investigation and about the election itself in Bladen County, where the bulk of the absentee ballot fraud by this GOP contractor is said to have been carried out. Bladen County election workers tallied the results of early voting before Election Day in violation of state rules and are accused of allowing outsiders to view those election results. That, according to a precinct worker, 
in an affidavit in an affidavit released by state Democrats in this case. The allegations raise new questions about <laughs> what the Charlotte Observer describes as missteps in an election fraud case. That's putting it kindly. Isn't it? They were just missteps. They didn't mean to break the law. They were just stepping Mister, wrong. It was an accident. Uh, the report showing totals from Bladen County's only early voting location was run on Saturday, November 3rd. This according to a copy released by the State Board of Elections, which is investigating the uh, the irregularities among the uh, mail-in absentee ballots in Bladen and Robeson counties. Under North Carolina election law, if one-stop ballots, that's what they're called, one-stop uh, absentee voting, you go in, you vote, everywhere else we call them early voting, but in-person early voting. The uh, election law says if one-stop ballots are counted electronically, that count shall commence at the time the polls close. Well, polls close in North Carolina on November 6th, Election Day, at 7.30 p.m. One-stop voting ended on November 3rd, according to the state board, uh, and thus they were not supposed to run these totals from those machines. The procedures were not followed in Bladen County, according to uh, documents that were released by the state board and by this affidavit signed by a precinct worker who said on Saturday, November 3, uh, the last day of early voting, the tape showing election results at the one-stop polling site was run after the polls closed and was viewed by officials at the one-stop who were not judges. It is my understanding that this was improper, said the precinct worker here. Uh, her name is Agnes Willis. Uh, she uh, signed this in her affidavit. She was one of three witnesses who who uh, who signed the early vote results that were printed out and are not supposed to be either printed out or shown, as I understand the law. This is an issue that came up a while ago in um, in uh, in in Phoenix, in, not in Phoenix, in um, Tucson, Arizona. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember. uh uh, John Brakey, the uh, great election uh, integrity activist down there, um, they discovered that, in fact, someone had been running early voting totals. You're allowed to count those early votes, those early ballots the, that come in via absentee, mail-in, and so forth. You're In most states, you're allowed to count them or at least begin the process of counting them before the polls close, but you're not supposed to share the information. You're not supposed to let everyone know how it's going. You're not supposed to let, say, your favorite candidate say, hey, by the way, you're behind. Exactly. You better get on it. Because that can then help to figure out where you need to target to turn out votes. Uh, Dan McCready, the Democrat here, uh, talked about this uh, affidavit and the uh, possibility of what he called leaked early voting numbers uh, during an appearance on MSNBC. He said that information, that's uh, information that is strategic to a campaign. That is an important factor in how a campaign spends resources, all sorts of things. That kind of data, how many votes each candidate had banked in early voting, would be valuable to campaigns who are seeking late-minute information uh, or to operatives, for example, collecting mail-in absentee ballots, especially if only one side has that information. Now, it should be noted in North Carolina, it is also illegal. It is unlawful for operatives to collect mail-in absentee ballots 
And yet that appears to be what happened uh, in North Carolina. And I've heard um, the, the, the only defense that these uh, Republicans over at, at Fox News seem to have is that, well, this we call this ballot harvesting. And uh, Governor Jerry Brown, the Democrat in California, he just signed a bill to allow ballot harvesting. And that's true. It used to be uh, that only a family member or I think a legal guardian uh, could could handle someone else's absentee ballot out here in California. Now he's made it uh, legal in California for, yes, political operatives to go around and collect these ballots. But a that is not the law in North Carolina. It is unlawful to collect absentee ballots uh, in North Carolina. And as far as I know, it is unlawful everywhere, including here in California, to collect absentee ballots that have not yet been voted, that the envelope has not been sealed and that has not been signed by the voter. And yet that's the uh, allegation that we have in uh, in North Carolina, that this guy hired by the Republican candidate, um, a guy by the name of McCray Dowless, uh, had was was paid uh, tens of thousands of dollars by Mark Harris to go around and do exactly this and to hire people, hire women to go around to places where they knew uh, the voter had asked for an absentee ballot and say, uh, just give it to me. Vote for who you want. I'll take care of the rest. Or potentially that they turned in absentee ballot applications for people who ended up never receiving them and somebody else may have. Somebody else may have. And, yeah, there's this huge undervote rate for requests uh, for absentee ballots from Democrats that, for some reason, never made it into the county. All right. Uh, just one other reason that I'm no fan of absentee vote-by-mail voting Uh, unless it's absolutely necessary. Officials in Florida today say thousands of mail ballots were not counted from the November 6th election because they were delivered too late to state election offices. The Department of State uh, late last week informed a federal judge that 6,670 ballots were mailed ahead of the November 6th election, but were not counted because they were not received by Election Day. The tally prepared by state officials includes uh, totals from 65 of Florida's 67 counties, uh, two counties, including the heavily Democratic Palm Beach have yet to re, uh, to report their totals on this. But three statewide Florida races, you will recall, including the contest for governor and the U.S. Senate, went to state mandated recounts because the margins were so close. In the ballot for agriculture commissioner, the Democrat Nikki Fried won her election by uh, 67, just over 6,700 votes. Republican Governor Rick Scott, he defeated uh, incumbent Democratic U.S. Senator Bill Nelson by slightly more than 10,000 votes. And yet we have at least 6,600 votes that were perfectly valid that came in that were uh, voted before Election Day, but the state has refused to count them. Under Florida law, ballots mailed inside the U.S. must reach election offices by 7 p.m. on Election Day. Meanwhile, overseas ballots are counted if they are received up to 10 days after the election. That's a scam that Republicans have been able to push through around the country to allow basically military overseas voters to have more time for their ballots to get here. I don't mind that they have more time for them to get here, but frankly, it should apply to everyone. 
There was a lawsuit uh, to that end filed by vote vets last year, and uh, U.S. District Judge Mark Walker uh, said, no, those ballots don't have to be counted, that it was reasonable for the state of Florida to have, that they had a right to establish deadlines, that the ballots had to come here before, had to get here before Election Day. But voters don't have any control over the post office. I mean, it seems to me if you finish it and if you get it postmarked one way or another by Election Day, it ought to count if it comes within a reasonable number of days, say three days after the election. Well, especially since the postmark is an official uh, determination and it's actually, you know, legal right there. And if the IRS will accept a postmark by a certain deadline day, seems like Florida and these other count, these other states could do the same. They could. But then they would have to count more votes from more people. And they know they don't want to do that uh, in a separate lawsuit, by the way. That that suit is ongoing. Uh, Mark Walker allowed this to happen, this uh, past election. But the suit continues. And so Walker was asking state election officials to let him know how many ballots were mailed before Election Day and then uh, but not counted. Well, now he knows. Uh, at least 6,670, and that could have made a difference in several races. Uh, in a separate lawsuit filed last month, uh, Walker gave voters extra time to fix their mail-in ballots if they were not counted because the signature did not match. So that was nice. Uh, but uh, it, it, the uh, unmatched uh, signatures were not nearly as many votes as those that were just not counted at all because they arrived too late. The oversight continues, or at least we try to, here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. Okay, Des, I got a quick follow up that I want to do after our Green News report. So let's get to it. Our latest GNR. So you have three actors conspiring, some might say colluding, to get in the way of uh, this very important agreement. Axis of oil. U.S. joins forces with Saudi Arabia and Russia to block action at U.N. climate talks in Poland. U.S. fossil fuel event at conference draws laughter. Plus, keep it in the ground! Keep it in the ground! Youth climate protesters from Poland to the halls of Congress pressure politicians to act on climate change. All of that pressure and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Energy innovation and fossil fuels will continue to play a leading role. (laughs) Energy access. Who's laughing at the U.S. now, Mr. President? This is your... 
Green News Report. I hope you'll give us a chance. Okay, Desi Doyen, before we get to the news out of the COP24 conference in Poland, we've got news out of France. Yes, French President Emmanuel Macron on Monday canceled a planned hike in fuel taxes that sparked weeks of violent protests over economic inequality, declining living standards, and stagnant wages. Wow, protests actually work in France. Yes, they do. Despite false reporting by right-wing media in the United States, the Yellow Vest protesters say they are actually in favor of environmental measures to combat pollution and climate change. But they said that the fuel tax increase was the last straw among several Macron economic policies that fall disproportionately on low and middle income families. So they weren't actually chanting, we want Trump, we want Trump, like (laughs) Donald Trump said they were? No, they were not. Huh. Meanwhile, the U.S. is acting as a spoiler at the annual United Nations Climate Talks, now underway in Poland to determine the rule book for the historic International Paris Agreement to cut global emissions. Although President Trump intends to withdraw from the accord in 2020, the U.S. is still a party to the negotiations. Over the weekend, just four countries out of nearly 200, the U.S., Saudi Arabia, Russia, and Kuwait, banded together to block one sentence, acknowledging a recent Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report warning that we have just 12 years to cut global emissions in half to avoid irreversible climate impacts. So they banded together because they didn't want that sentence in there warning about the 12 years we have left to work this out? Exactly. Blocking inclusion of the report prevents it from being used in the negotiations. All four countries control the global oil supply, and according to U.S. climate scientist Dr. Michael Mann, in an interview with the BBC, they're all conspiring to undermine the agreement. At this point, uh, those countries have to decide if they're going to get on board um, with this transition with this economic revolution or if they're going to get left behind at the station. And unfortunately, uh, a small number of countries are instead focused on their own short-term financial interests at the expense of the larger interests of this planet. But youth climate activists managed to temporarily halt the Trump administration's side event at the conference intended to promote the same fossil fuels that cause man-made climate change. They mocked U.S. officials with laughter. It is clear that energy innovation and fossil fuels will continue to play a leading role. (laughs) (laughs) And then chants. Scientists say that two-thirds of the world's remaining fossil fuels must remain in the ground and unburned for us to have a chance at keeping global temperatures from rising more than two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. Here in the U.S., youth climate activists with the Sunrise Movement also launched a similar protest in the halls of Congress on Monday. They're pressuring Democratic leaders to take aggressive steps to confront climate change equal to what climate scientists say is necessary to avoid catastrophic climate impacts. Sunrise Movement protesters called on Democratic lawmakers to support a draft proposal from Democratic Congresswoman-elect Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for a Green New Deal, a suite of policies to create jobs while also cutting U.S. carbon emissions by transitioning the nation and its infrastructure to 100 percent clean energy. 
sounds like these kids, whether they're out in Poland or here in the U.S., sounds like they mean business. Yeah, they aren't stopping. And I hope they don't, because the old people, like you and me, haven't gotten (laughs) very far, so hopefully the kids will save us all. And maybe this will help. A new report by the World Health Organization details the benefits to public health from meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement. The researchers calculated that tackling global warming would save more than a million lives every year globally from the reduction in fossil fuel air pollution alone. Nah, it won't help. Studies don't help anymore. Only action does. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. We must keep it in the ground! Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. It is catchy, isn't it? Very quickly, uh, I don't think this is what they uh, those kids mean when they say keep it in the ground. The Trump administration wants to reclassify radioactive waste left from the production of nuclear weapons to lower its threat level and make disposal cheaper and easier. Oh, boy. So they're not going to do anything with the waste other than reclassify it and say, oh, it's less dangerous. The proposal by the uh, U.S. Department of Energy would lower the status of some high-level radioactive waste in several places around the nation, including the Hanford Nuclear Reservation in Washington State, the most contaminated nuclear site in the country. But reclassifying the material to low level, just waving a wand and saying it's not dangerous anymore, somehow that could save the agency billions of dollars and decades of work by essentially leaving the material in the ground where it is currently buried and dangerously leaking. Into the water supply. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. Uh, Ron Wyden has uh, asked the agency to extend the public comment period on this proposal until January 9. Uh, But the agency can make this change without approval from Congress. So they just wave a wand, say, this material is no longer dangerous. Magic. That's it. Yeah, not what they meant by keep it in the ground. All right, got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free. Though I do thank those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate, particularly before the end of the year, to keep us up and rolling uh, with the broadcast as long as possible. We, re- we rely only on you to stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 